Please stand uh, for our call to worship. I'm going to read a passage from Philippians, but before I do that, um, the theme today is Israel and the kings that got started in the story of the kings. And uh, the point of this passage from Philippians is just to remind us what does the ideal king look like. Uh, so this is talking about Jesus Christ, the king of kings. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 11. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. 
all pray with me? Heavenly Father, Lord, we just thank you for this glorious day you've given us to come together and celebrate you and celebrate your word with each other and on Zoom, Lord. We thank you for all the many blessings you pour out upon us, and we just want to take a moment to turn our attention towards you, to take all the, the conflict, the things that are holding us back from, from seeing you in our lives today, Lord. We want to leave those at the foot of the cross so that we can fully uh, worship you. So we're going to come to you in a moment of silent prayer to just confess those sins, confess those shortfalls, and just give you all those things that are holding us back from seeing you today. So again, Heavenly Father, we just thank you for the ways in which you bless us and, and you restore us, Lord. Um, we ask that you be with us now. Just open our eyes to see you moving in and through the words that we sing and study today. And most importantly, Lord, we just thank you for the gift of your son. It's in his holy and precious name we pray, Lord. Amen.
from Revelation chapter 19, verses 6 through 9. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters, and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult, and give him the glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his, and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. For the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said to me, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, these are the true words of God.
assembles to, to worship you and to hear your word proclaimed. Uh, we pray that you'll be with us, that you'll, your spirit will be with us, Lord, and you'll be with Tom uh, as he proclaims your word and uh, delivers the message this morning. And I, I pray that you'll help us to, to hear, Lord, to see, and to understand. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Beautiful, beautiful. Thank you. Welcome to Hope in person and on our live stream. It's good to have you with us, however you manage to get here. And a couple things just to let you know about that are going on around here. First of all, if you are visiting with us, either live stream or in person, uh, or if you have any prayer requests, we encourage you to communicate with us. Uh, use this if you're here, or just go to our website and you can email us from there. And please let us know how we can be in prayer for you. Um, it's one of the things we, we do pretty well here at Hope, and so please communicate because we can't really pray for you very in a detailed way if you don't let us know what's going on. Um, and uh, to that end, uh, speaking of email, um, you should have received this uh, kid's printable. Uh, this is following along with the sermon series. We're kind of marching through uh, the books of the Bible and so if you will keep these and have your kids do them, um, your kids will have a, like a big overview of, of the scriptures by the time this series is over uh, and, 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 and be engaged in, at their level and in, in activities and crafts that uh, they will enjoy, I hope. Um, I actually, Jen, I actually did one of the word searches. I think it was the one from Genesis. It took me way longer than it should have. But, you know, once you get into something like that, you can't stop. You can't be like, this is just a complete waste of time. No, you ha I have to finish it. I did. I did. But it, the, there were some that were, like, backwards and diagonal and, like, you know, you would think Melchizedek would be easy to find. Not so much. Yeah. Um, 
but that's going on. And uh, I did miss a passage a couple weeks ago when we were reading through uh, the early part of the Old Testament. I want to just read it to you now. Um, it says, And a plague came into the camp of the people of God, and they were forced to watch two by two their Super Bowl. <laughs> and two by two they were to watch it. Two by two they were to eat their wings, and two by two consume their queso, for a plague had come into the land. I just thought that was interesting. Um, totally missed that in previous readings. I don't know why. Um, but uh, happy Super Bowl Sunday, and, you know, are you going to, who do you think's going to win? Like the young kid who's like one of the most dynamic quarterbacks we've seen in a long time, and, and he managed to go to Tech for what, like a year? Really? Okay. What? Uh, or, or are you going to vote for the guy who's, like, been there darn near a dozen times now? Like, yeah. For the old man? Really? You know, yeah. It is, it is, I don't know how, I don't think I can root for Tom Brady, but it is impressive. I got to give him that. Like, you leave the machine that got you there, like, seven or eight times, and then you go to some other team that hadn't been there in decades, and now you're back in the Super Bowl. Like, how does that work? That's, I think that's impressive. Not 100% sure. But uh, should be interesting. Um, before the Super Bowl, we have a youth group Zoom planning meeting at 3 o'clock today. Uh, this will cover, like, our plan for the for the spring semester of youth group Bible study, nail down the dates for our summer blueprint missions trip, Lord willing, um, and other details. So please zoom in at three. It shouldn't take a long time, but uh, we'd love to have you there. If you are a youth or a youth parent, um, we can knock down, knock out uh, what's left of this semester in terms of planning. Um, then let's see. Tuesday nights at 7, we have our Zoom Bible study, and you are encouraged to Zoom in. We will be covering the, the books of the Bible that are covered on Sunday. So we, we're starting in Genesis. We're not quitting till we get to Revelation. We'll be there mid-June, theoretically, hopefully, God willing, and the creek don't rise. Um, but uh, we're going through the books of the Old Testament right now, and so you'll be given the choice, once you zoom in on Tuesday nights at 7, you can do the overview of those books in sort of a big picture flyover, uh, or you can do the drill down into one passage or one or two passages, whatever we're studying that week on a specific level. So you'll have those choices available, and it's, it's, uh, you're totally free to do one one week and another another week, or stick with the same group or whatever you want to do. We're, we're flexible there. Um, but we'd love to have you zoom in, Tuesday, 7 p.m., Bible study. Um, I think that's about it. We've got a, our men are getting together on the 19th. Uh, that's a Friday night right here in the parking lot around 7 o'clock. Uh, there will be fire. There will be food. There will be fellowship. That's about it. Yeah. 
Am I forgetting anything there? Okay. If Do we know that crawfish are in season by then? Okay. All right. Because I've done that before. I've, like, told everybody I was going to have a crawfish boil only to find out there's times of year when there are no crawfish, apparently. So those are the dark days of which we no longer speak. All right. Fair enough. So, okay. I think that's about it. What am I forgetting? Anything? Anything? All right. Well, let's pray, and we will get into God's word. God, our loving Father, we come before you this morning, and as we open your word, we pray that you would open our hearts, that you would speak to us through your word, that you would draw us closer to who you are and what you want in us and through us, that you would minister your grace and your forgiveness to our hearts where it is needed. We confess to you that we are sinners, that we are selfish and without hope apart from your grace as it is expressed to us through your son Jesus Christ on the cross. And it is to that cross to which we look for that forgiveness and grace that are ours in him. And so, Lord, we, we claim that truth, that grace, that love that you have expressed to us through your Son. And we pray that you would reveal more of your truth and his love to us this morning through your word. We lay at the foot of your cross the burdens of our hearts that we might be more free to encounter you here today through your word. We give you our, our sins, our failures, our disappointments. We lift before you those relationships in our lives that are strained. And we pray for peace and reconciliation where it is needed. We lift before you those whom we know and love who are sick. And we pray your healing mercies upon your people. We pray especially for Linda Harris as she continues her battle with cancer. And we just pray you would keep her strong and her spirits up and her body healthy and restore her to full health and take away that disease completely from her. And Lord, we lift up others whom we know and love who are struggling in a variety of ways, and we just lay them before you in the hope that, that you are our loving Father and will care for them well. And Lord, we lift up those who mourn. We pray your comfort over their hearts. We lift before you this country and our leaders at every level of government elected and appointed, and we pray that you would give them wisdom and discernment in the decisions that are before them. Lord, we lift up our men and women in uniform all over the world. We pray you would watch over and protect them. We pray for those families who are separated from one another due to uh, one or more of their family members serving our country. And we just pray that you would keep those families strong, minister your grace to their hearts, and return uh, those of our soldiers who are in harm's way home safely. Lord, we lift up your church here at Hope and around the world. We Think of the missionaries we support in Guatemala, in Laredo, Texas, in Cuba, in Beirut, Lebanon, and elsewhere in the Middle East. And we lift up those church plants, those young works of your spirit in our state that are uh, currently ongoing in Katy, Texas, in New Braunfels, and in Austin. And we just pray your blessing over what you're doing in those places. Uh, grow your kingdom 
far and wide, here and there and everywhere. We pray that you be with us now by the presence and power of your Holy Spirit. In your Son's name we pray. Amen. All right. So, we are moving through at a rather healthy clip the Old Testament. We obviously started in Genesis, worked our way through uh, the big events and the beginning of Genesis, creation, the fall, the flood, and the dispersal of, God, of people into the nations, the creation of the nations. Then we followed God's promise uh, through one family, one person and his wife, or one couple, Abraham and Sarah. And so this is important, just to just the background, the, the, the following of this thread through Scripture of these miracle moms that pop up at different points in the redemptive history of God's people. You could start that with Eve, obviously, and then the next sort of miracle mom is Sarah, and then the next miracle mom would be Moses' mother who sort of miraculously saves him, or really it's more, she was more wise, I think. You know, floating a baby down the river isn't a miracle. She used physics to get him to where he was going. But the hand of God was certainly upon that event in a miraculous way. And a Jewish baby grows up in the one place where he would be educated, become literate, and, and actually multilingual, and be in the position to codify uh, that it, that means like to to make it uh, it written uh, a language of God the language of God's people, and so he he really it all starts with his mom and and Scripture recognizes this that it's it's this fingerprint of God on redemptive history as he moves through these women to bring about the events of history that will. Uh, demonstrate who God is and how he works and how profound his love is and how deep his power is. Um, and then we saw last week uh, another couple of miracle moms, Rahab. Um, the miracle there is that a woman comes from her background of, of destitution and, and prostitution uh, to become a member of the family of God, but also a member of the lineage of the Messiah. It's really amazing. And then we follow her lineage down to Ruth. We, we looked at that story last week. Another miracle mom who gives birth to a man who will be the grandfather of King David, who we'll look at today. Um, but this is another episode in the, in the redemptive history of God's people that starts with another miracle mom. Her name was Hannah. Before I get to Hannah's story, I want to set the stage. We're reading through first and second Kings, first and I'm sorry, first and second Samuel, first and second Kings, and first and second Chronicles. You may think, wow, that's six books of the Bible in one Sunday. It's actually only three. Uh, they were divided uh, in the English Bible uh, for reasons that go way, way back to how long scrolls were. Um, but it's just in the Hebrew Bible, the Samuel, Kings, and Chronicles. We're going to look at these three collections of scriptures. And 
as we do that, it's, it's just important to note that God had told Moses, here's where I want the throne in Israel. I want it, I want it on a gold-covered box, a wood box covered in gold, and on top of the box, I want these creatures with wings, and I want the wings spread over the seat so that no one can sit in my throne. And he says, the, the peoples around you will have kings. You will have me, your God, as your king. And so this goes on through the time of Moses, the time of Joshua, the period of the judges, and then we get to 1 Samuel. And I'm going to read to you, just to kind of kick us off, I'm going to read to you something that God says to Samuel when God's people look at the nations around them and they say, they all have kings, we need a king. Give us a king. And they demand a king because they could tell Samuel's kids were creepy. And uh, they didn't want to follow them. And so Samuel is in a little bit of a crisis because he knows what God's word said, that we should not have a king, that God will be our king. And so he has this encounter with God. He's like, what should I do? And in 1 Samuel chapter 8, verse 7, God says this to Samuel. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. How do you think this is going to end? Maybe not well, all right? Um, but if, if you want to understand, like, how bad it gets, you have to understand that verse. This whole, this whole period of Israel's history where they have a king is a period w- that begins in rebellion and rejection of God. So that's the why. That's the why these stories are going to go so badly and, and it, it really reveal how dark the human soul truly is. But let's go back to our miracle mom. We're going to look just a quick overview of the book of Samuel, the first and second Samuel, as we call it in the English Bible. And I'm going to just summarize those two works, or that one work that we call two, as teaching us that God's ways are not our ways, that God works differently than our economy. He works differently than the way we think, the way we act, and what we think will bring about good. So Hannah teaches us that the promise of God comes by grace. She is another barren woman who cries out to God and God responds miraculously by giving her a son. And she decides that she's going to dedicate this son to God. He becomes a prophet. His name is Samuel. Um, she, uh, well, we have in 1 Samuel chapter 1, verse 20, you see the, the response of God to her cry. It says, And in due time Hannah conceived and bore a son, and she called his name Samuel, for she said, I have asked for him from the Lord. And so she cries out, God responds, it's another miraculous birth that sort of 
sits at the forefront of a new period of history in God's relationship with his people. So we're looking at one mom, two prophets, and two kings in these books. Uh, We go next to the person Samuel, Hannah's son, and after she gives birth, she writes a poem, and in the poem, she she teaches us that God's promise does not come about through our strength. So God's promise comes by grace. It does not come about through human strength. She says in her poem, He will guard the feet of his faithful ones, but the wicked shall be cut off in darkness, for not by might shall a man prevail. So Hannah understands something that no one else for the rest of this work of scripture will understand. This woman who God has heard her prayer articulates the truth that defines or defies the rest of the characters in this book. And so then we come to the first king of Israel anointed by Samuel. Samuel was a prophet and his job was to tell God's people who their king would be. Saul is the Tom Brady of the ancient world. He's he's tall, he's good looking, he's strong, he's the obvious choice for king. And so Samuel goes and everyone wants Saul to be their king and Samuel asks God and God's like, fine, let them have what they want. He ordains Samuel as king, he anoints him as king, I'm sorry, Saul, he anoints Saul as king, and we learn something very, very um, painful in this episode, that you've heard the phrase, power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely, and these are just one episode after another of the corruption of the human soul revealed by giving one man power. So Saul, the obvious choice, teaches us that the promise, God's promise, calls for our obedience. And Saul has this beautiful rise in in the book of 1 Samuel as he uh, gains power and wins battles. And then there's a turning point where everything begins to unravel. Let me read this to you from 1 Samuel chapter 15, verses 22 and 23. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in obeying the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice, and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, and presumption is is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. So in quick summary, God tells Saul, the king, to take to defeat an enemy. He goes out with his army, they defeat the enemy, and God had told him, don't keep anything. Like it's all unclean, don't keep anything. And so Samuel is coming 
to the post-battle scene, and he hears livestock. He hears the sound of livestock coming from behind Saul. And Saul's like, I, the Lord gave me victory, and I've done everything God asked me to do. And Samuel's like, um, then why do I hear the bleating of sheep and the lowing of cattle? And that's not what God asked you to do. And Saul still doesn't get it. He's like, oh, oh no, no, we're bringing, on, we're bringing all that back to sacrifice it to God. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're going to give it to God. And then after we sacrifice to God, we're going to eat it. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's what we're going to do. And Samuel just sort of shakes his head and says, Oy vey, um, you don't get it. Saul exists for in, in the history of redemption for one reason. To, to demonstrate to us that God's promise not only does it call for our obedience, but there is, a, there is a standard of righteousness inherent in the promise. This, this standard will not be fulfilled until Jesus comes. And so Saul is, is almost like a, a bad, he is a bad example of what a king should be. But he sets us up to anticipate a king who will fulfill God's will, who will be righteous and holy and pure and true, and who will bring God's people back into right relationship with him. And so Saul exists as an example of what not to do. Um, And then while Saul is still king, God tells Samuel, go anoint another king, right? Um, How do you think that's going to end? So Saul is still king, and God sends Samuel to the house of a man named Jesse, and Samuel is standing there looking at Jesse's oldest son, and he's like, definitely, that is definitely the guy. He's, he's not Tom Brady, but he's pretty close. And God's like, nope, well, I'll read it to you. So here's... Samuel, standing in Jesse's house, we're going to look at now at the person of David, King David, where we learn, God's word teaches us, that the promise is a matter of the heart, not our behavior, but our heart. 1 Samuel 16, 7, you see how close this is to the previous passage. Saul has just lost his uh, mojo with God, and God turns around, sends Samuel to anoint a new king. And Samuel is looking at David's oldest brother, and this is how it plays out. The Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as a man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. And so... Samuel is just befuddled because God, he, Samuel runs through all of Jesse's sons who are there in his house, and God's like, nope, 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 nope. And Samuel looks at Jesse and says, is there anybody else? He's like, well, I got this little kid, 
he's out tending the sheep because that's what we do with the people that don't are no value around here. And so they send, and back comes this, what, like 12-year-old kid, 10-year-old kid, something like that, scrawny little runt, and Samuel anoints him. God says, that's the one, and Samuel anoints him. Not an obvious choice. Um, and then, of course, you know the story, like he goes to the front lines, he's the anointed one, but nobody knows it really. He kills Goliath. He, he soothes Saul, the king, the current king. He soothes his mental illness with, with music. Um, and then Saul realizes this little punk is the next anointed king. I need to kill him so that my son can be king. And David spends the next, I don't know, 15, 20 years running, hiding, living outside the, the boundaries of Israel, trying to preserve his life. And he actually respects Saul's kingship. He respects Saul's life. He's like, that's the anointed one. He's trying to kill me, but I can't kill him because he's God's anointed king. And so that's how David spends his adolescence and his early adulthood is literally running and hiding for his life. And then David does become king, and early in his kingship, Things go badly wrong. I think you remember me saying power corrupts, absolute power corrupts absolutely. And David, you know the story, he looks out over his balcony, he sees a beautiful woman bathing. He calls for her, she has to come to his temple. He sleeps with her, she conceives a child. He calls her husband back from the front lines to try to get him to to do the thing that husbands and wives do. And he's like, I'm not going to do that while my men are in battle. I'm going to sleep right here on your front porch. And uh, what, come what may, I'm not going to have that comfort while my men are risking their lives. And so Uriah is sent back to the front lines, and the other generals are told, advance, and at the last moment, pull back, let Uriah, let Uriah die in battle. So David commits adultery, he lies, he commits murder. I mean, you can just click off the Ten Commandments, like every single one, especially like that last one about coveting another man's wife. It kind of begins at the end and works its way back through the entire Ten Commandments. And this is the king of Israel. Um, and... We'll, we'll just pick up the story here. The prophet Nathan, who's Samuel's replacement at the time, is the person in these books who teaches us that the promise calls us to repentance. So we've seen that the promise comes by grace. It does not come by our strength. It calls for our obedience. It's a matter of the heart, and it calls for our repentance. Nathan comes to David and says, why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and have taken his wife to be your wife and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. So Nathan calls out David for his sin. David responds in 2 Samuel eleven thirteen and says, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan says to David, the Lord has put away your sin. You shall not die. This doesn't mean 
that David didn't face consequences for his sin. He did. And all of Israel did. Um, what it means is that God figures out a way to overcome our sin, to bring about forgiveness and redemption, regardless of how badly we mess up. And this is really the story of First and Second Samuel, that God's ways are not our ways. And, you know, if someone had, had sinned against you or me the way David had, he should be deposed, he should be executed, he should be something. And God says, my ways are not your ways. This is a matter of the heart. And what I want is repentance, and I want love, and I want the response that brings us closer together. And so, First and Second Samuel represent the truth that God's ways are not our ways. First and Second Kings, which we'll talk about next, um, just are there to point out that our ways lead to division and captivity. The primary figure at the beginning of First Kings is David's son, King Solomon, and it Solomon teaches us that ignoring God's promise leads to strife. Um, we'll just go through the progression. First Kings ten twenty three. That then kings thus King Solomon excelled all the kings of the earth in riches and in wisdom. How do you think that's going to end? Will he rule wisely? Will he raise his children well? Will he, I don't know, what will he do? He's the wealthiest and wisest king in the history of Israel, in the history of the world. And then we just, one chapter later, 1 Kings eleven six. So Solomon did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and did not wholly follow the Lord as David his father had done. There is so much irony in these words, but what, he's, what, what God is talking about, again, is the heart. He's talking about the heart. So Solomon had all the wealth, all the wisdom, and none of the love. He, he let it slip out of his heart. And because he did this, he lost sight of what was most important. 1 Kings twelve sixteen says, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I'm about to tear the kingdom from the hand of Solomon, and I will give you ten tribes. He's speaking to one of Solomon's successors. So what happens here is Solomon's pride leads to division and civil war. And when Solomon dies, the kingdom of Israel breaks into two parts. One part consists of ten tribes, and another part consists really of just one tribe. And, and there's, there's another tribe across the river. That's not important right now. Um, and so what happens is everything breaks down. Solomon ignores the promise of God, the, the, the heart of the promise of God, and the entire thing leads to strife and division and turmoil. And so this 
man that had so much potential, that had all the wealth and all the wisdom to lead God's people well, ignores the most important thing, and God's kingdom breaks in two. The rest of the kings, with only a couple of exceptions, are complete idiots. And this is, again, what God is saying is, is like, when my king David ignores me like he did, I make this, this epic promise to him that he will hold, his descendant will hold my throne forever, and then he just like completely ignores me. The consequences of that corrupt king just spill down through history like Niagara Falls. And it's just one after another after another. And just a couple of times, there's a king who wakes up, who gets it, and says, no, this is wrong. What we're doing is wrong, and it's going to lead to God expelling us from his presence. And so that's what we'll talk about next. This, this line of kings teaches us that neglecting the promise leads to bondage. When, when we, you can see this in your own life. When you ignore God's word and God's will, and your heart goes off to whatever it is that you think is going to bring you satisfaction, it leaves you empty. And instead of turning back to God, you turn back to that thing that you think is going to bring you satisfaction, and it leaves you emptier. And it just keeps cascading downhill out of control. That's the way sin works. Sin begets more sin, which begets more sin. And so here we are in the midst of this period of history um, learning that the neglect of God's promise only leads to bondage. 2 Kings 17.6 says, In the ninth year of Hosea, the king of Assyria captured Samaria and he carried all he carried the Israelites away to Assyria. This is step one, that divided kingdom. One portion of it, the portion called Israel, is taken into captivity. Just a few chapters later, 2 Kings 25, verse 21. So Judah, this was the last tribe where Jerusalem was, uh, where the capital was, the temple was, etc. Judah was taken into exile out of its land. So this succession of corrupt kings ignores God's word and God's will, and it leads to destruction, chaos, and bondage. And God's people are carried away to another land. You might think, well, gee, Pastor Tom, thanks for that uplifting assessment of the books of Samuel and Kings. Um, you're welcome. Uh, there, this, this is why First and Second Chronicles exist. So what's going to happen in, in first and, what we call First and Second Chronicles in the book of Chronicles is this author comes and is writing this after the exile has taken place and after the return of God's people to Israel has occurred. This author is writing with the, the perspective of redemptive history behind him and he is basically looking back at the stories of Saul and David and Solomon and the rest of these idiots. And he's saying, I want to show you something. I want to show you that God 
can work through anyone. God can bring about his redemptive plan through any chaotic circumstance you can throw in its way. He will overcome. And so the books that we call the Chronicles, First and Second Chronicles, teach us that God's way leads to redemption. The first and most important character in the books of the Chronicles is the Messiah. And we are taught to find hope in the promise through him. The Chronicles look at the kingships, particularly of David's kingship, and sees something that points to something far beyond the realities of that time period. And I'll read you these words from 1 Chronicles chapter 7, starting in verse 11. I will raise up your offspring after you. This is God speaking to David. One of your own sons, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for me, and I will establish his throne forever. I will be to him a father, and he shall be to me a son. I will not take my steadfast love from him as I took it from him who was before you. But I will confirm in my house. I will confirm him in my house and in my kingdom forever. And his throne shall be established forever. You see a key word there? Um, this is God speaking to and through these completely messed up people to say, I have a plan. And my plan will overcome your sin. Um, I want to, I don't know if I can find this verse fast enough to be of help. Here it is. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. You are that temple that God told David his son would build. It's not just the descendant of David, it's the son of God. And he builds it one living stone at a time. He overcomes our sin. He overcomes our chaos. He overcomes every single obstacle that man tries to put in the way of the redemptive progress of God's love in this world. The Messiah is where we are to find hope. The other character in the books of the Chronicles is you, God's chosen people. Here is a truth that is set before you that you can be restored through the promise. That God's promise is aimed at your heart. That he is looking down the hallway of history at specifically you. He wants you to come back he wants you to return to him time and time again. I want to just, this is the last passage in the books of the Chronicles, 2 Chronicles 36, 23. We're going to, I'm going to read it, 
We're going to talk about it briefly. Thus says Cyrus, the king of Persia, this is where Israel, the people of God, are held in captivity. The Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you of all his people, may the Lord his God be with him. Let him go up. And, and the book actually ends with an incomplete sentence. Let him go up. This is the last book of the Jewish Bible. If you went to a synagogue and you opened their Bible, uh, you want to open it on this end, by the way. Um, but you go all the way to the end. These are the last words in the Bible. Let him go up. Whoever God is with, let him go up. Jerusalem is always up in the Jewish mentality. That's where it sits. It's up on the hills. And this is a very optimistic statement, and it's open-ended, intentionally open-ended. This author knew there was more to come. He knew that the story was not over. And so, literally, the end of the Jewish Bible ends with an incomplete sentence that is begging to be finished. And Jesus shows up and says, I'll finish it. I'll finish the story. And I'll, I want to tell you while I do that my, God's promise to you will be fulfilled through me and you can be restored to right relationship with God. Will you pray with me? God, our Father, we marvel at your word, at the ways in which you move throughout history towards each of our hearts, at the fact that your promise cannot be stopped, that all of the sin and selfishness and pride and corruption that we throw in its way, your promise always overcomes. And we are humbled. We are taught that your ways are not our ways, that your grace is sufficient, that your love is eternal, that your promise will be kept. Father, keep us in this posture of humility and, gra and gratitude to remember that we are those that do not deserve what we receive from you. But rather, we are those through whom you will show the depth of your grace. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. Thank you for the promise that perseveres in spite of who we are. May we cling to it each and every day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
This is the offertory part of our service, so um, we look at that in several different ways here at Hope. The um, whether you're zooming in or you're here in the building, we have several different ways to to give, but we like to emphasize lots of different aspects to that here at Hope. We think about your time and your talent as well as your treasure. Right, we give financially. We can do that through the nifty little QR code on the back of our bulletin, or you can do it online through our website. Have a bucket in the back that you can make donations. But our offering to God is so much more than just our treasure. Many of you give so much time and your talent to hope, and we try to put that all together and just grow the kingdom of God. So we want you to partner with us in that effort um, and just 
help us in any way that you can. Um, during this last year, during this pandemic, y'all's generosity has blown us out of the water. We have been amazed at the hearts of our people in all these different ways who have wanted to pour out their generosity to those that they can help. So just thank you for that. When I think about today's sermon, I am continuing to be blown away um, at, at just how messed up the nation of Israel is. And I am strangely comforted by that. Because if the Bible was full of a bunch of people who had their act together, I wouldn't have anybody to identify with. Right? But when we're looking at all of these messed up people with their messed up hearts, I'm like, I see myself. There's Rusty right there in all of his selfishness. And it is so good to just know that God is faithful. God is waiting to pour out his grace and his mercy on us, even though we are this messed up. So, Tom, thank you. This has been am, an ambitious undertaking, but, man, it's been good. And I don't know if people are telling you that enough, but we appreciate it. Several people have told me how much they're enjoying it. So um, keep up the good work. You're awesome. Amen. Um, guys, hope is an amazing place, and we just hope that you will um, find a way to plug in and Tom and I were talking about this earlier this week, that part of the secret sauce of hope is the fact that we want you to volunteer in a life-giving capacity here at Hope, right? We don't ask anybody to serve in a way that is soul-sucking. We want you to jump in and serve here at Hope in a way that gives you energy. And so... As we start to turn our eyes towards a post-vaccine vaccine world, is that the way to put that, post-COVID? Maybe. I don't know when that's going to be. But we're going to need all hands on deck to come back together and continue the mission of hope, which is growing the kingdom of God here in San Antonio and around the world. So I look forward to getting to restart so many of the things that we're going to do. Um, but start thinking and, and praying about the ways that you can serve hope that are life-giving to you. And when you guys get a chance to Zoom in on Tuesday nights or whenever we're Zooming in, just know that those conversations and getting to do that with you is life-giving for me. So um, if you're tired, Zoom in anyway right? I need to see your faces. We need that fellowship. So again, um, let's just think about how we can offer ourselves to God, and let's be comforted by the fact that the Bible is full of messed up characters, and yet God's grace and his mercy through his son, Jesus Christ, dying on the cross for our sins, can overcome all of that. So while the music plays, have a little silent time to pray to God and, and work out what's going on in your heart and then I'll close us in prayer.
God, you are so good, so good, so faithful when we are faithless. I am so glad that your ways are not my ways. And I just pray that more often I would rest and trust in you, that I would yield and put aside, you know, all of the messed up ways I want to go about things and just trust in you and, and wait for your provision. Lord, you are so good to us. Thank you for sending your son to die on the cross for our sins. Help us as we go throughout this week to rest in your gospel of grace and to share that love and pour it out on everyone we meet. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Well, let's stand and worship the perfect king together one more time.
throughout that period of redemption, of the history of redemption, where Israel had kings sitting on a throne. As the king went, so most often God's people went. So think about that for a minute. The king is corrupt, his son is corrupt, his grandson is corrupt, and just follow that downhill all the way to the bottom. And then, of course, that story, the last words there are, go up. There is one who will bring you from that place of decline up to where there is health and life and a living, breathing relationship with your creator. But throughout every single step of that period of decline, these words that I'm about to read were read over the heads of God's people. Don't let them fly over your head. Open your heart. Let these words in. Let them give shape to who you are, to how you live, to the hope that is alive in the promise of God through Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face toward you and give you peace. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. May you go in his peace.